This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 323. Hardly any of us get any instruction at all in private speaking. What I would call what we're doing right now, or what 99.9% of all of our communication is, is private speaking. Hi, and welcome to my podcast. It's the Read to Lead podcast and is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. My name is Jeff, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then lifelong learning is a must. Intentional and consistent reading is a great way to achieve that. The Read to Lead podcast is not only going to help you narrow this reading list, but bring you the key insights and main ideas from the people we talk to each and every week. And that includes today's most successful and inspiring authors. We dive into their latest book and their unique insights on things like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. Today, you and I will be meeting with Steve Herz, H-E-R-Z, author of the book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. I'll ask Steve to share why he believes your level of success is dependent upon your willingness to stop taking yes for an answer and what that means exactly. We'll dive into what he refers to as his awe framework for developing authority, warmth, and energy. What he means when he says your voice is your second face and plenty more. You know, speaking of narrowing that reading list, I've created a list of what I call the 12 all-time top leadership and personal growth books, and you can get access to that on my website. Just visit readtoleadpodcast.com and enter your name and email address in the form at the upper right of the page, and I'll send you that resource for free. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com. Steve Herz is president and founder of IF Management and now president of the Montag Group. He is considered an influential voice in broadcasting and is a respected business leader. Steve's company has evolved to impact the lives of CEOs, lawyers, entrepreneurs, and young professionals. Steve's purpose is to coach and motivate others to become the best version of themselves, never settling for just good enough. Steve's brand new book is called Don't Take Yes for an answer, using authority, warmth, and energy to get exceptional results. Uh, Steve Herz, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I'm excited to be here as well. This is one thing I love to do is read, so I'm very excited to talk to you today. Awesome. I was uh, chatting via email with uh, Jessica yesterday, who was helping me uh, set up this interview, and I told Jessica in my email I was loving uh, your book. And since I've finished your book this morning, I can update loving to I loved your book. I think it's amazing. Well, that's really kind of you. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. I'm glad that you liked it. Coming from you, a master of reading, that's saying quite a lot. So thank you. <laughs> well, I want to start by having you tell me a bit about that time earlier in your career when you received some surprising, and I think you would agree, much needed advice from a mentor that, that kind of set you on a completely different uh, career trajectory. Well, it was it was in summer of 1990. It's recounted in the book. I, I was working for the law firm. It was called, it still is, Curtis Malay Prevost uh, on Park Avenue. I was a summer associate there. And at the very end of the summer, you were told whether you're going to get an offer or not to come work at that law firm at the end of that, that summer for the next year. And this is typical of the law firm experience for summer associates. And most of the kids, the majority of kids generally do get offers. They, they hire 
X amount and plan to give offers to somewhere between 75 and 100% of the kids. Mm. And that summer was no different. Everybody got an offer that came in. I was the last guy called into the office. And the, the, the managing partner, Turner Smith, said, you're, you're not getting an offer. And, and in fact, we don't even think you should practice law. We think it's a bad field for you. So it, it was pretty, it was a big slap in the, in the face or punch to the gut, if you will. And, and he was such a nice guy and so decent that coming from him, it's in some ways it stung twice as bad, but in other ways it didn't sting at all because you knew he cared about you and he was being decent to do that, not to just say, oh, you know what, you're great, we love you, but we didn't have room for you. Instead, he, he actually took the time to be so honest about what he thought was best for me. Now, eventually you, you would change careers or soon after that you did change careers, but what were the circumstances, Steve, that, that prompted you to start your own company, your own agency? Where were you in your career when, when you did that? Well, I was 29 and I was working for what was a pretty good small boutique agency in broadcast representation. And I had worked for another company before that. And I just, I don't know, I, I woke up one day and I, I, I had either the flu or some kind of a cough or cold and mm. didn't go to work for that day or the next day. And I, I called the, the owner of the company up. It was probably eight people in the whole, whole company. I just thought, I don't want to be here for the rest of my life. And why should I stay one more day? And I was making what I thought was a lot of money, more than I probably had thought I could earn up to that point in my life. But it just dawned on me that if I didn't like the way they were doing things at that company and I didn't see a future for myself, I should just go do it myself. And it was just kind of a weird, almost mm. awakening or a gestalt, if you will. Well, I think this really sets you on a trajectory of getting this feedback we talked about a moment ago to really think long and hard about going through a life and a career where oftentimes people aren't telling you what you really need to hear. And I'm curious to know why you believe that, that our level of success, in addition to that circumstances that happened in your life, is dependent upon our willingness to, as you say, stop taking yes for an answer. Why is that so important? Well, because I think otherwise we all can fall into what I call the vortex of mediocrity. If we get just told how great we are, there's no signal to actually think about what do I need to improve upon. Mm. And I mean, I'll give you a great example of that. You know, I've now been doing a lot of podcasts around this book and I woke up this morning to a very harsh email. Mm. from a very close friend of mine telling me that he had listened to another podcast that I did recently and that it absolutely stunk mm. and that I stunk. And hopefully I'm going to apply the principles that he gave me and the feedback he gave me in this email to do better with you today. You're the first person <laughs> I'm talking to since then. Look, I, I've gotten a lot of other emails in, in, in many of the podcasts I've done before and 99% of them were like, I listened to your podcast. You were great. You were, you were great. And this guy took the time to tell me how bad I was. And I, I really appreciate that. So again, hopefully I'll improve. If not, maybe I did stink. Who knows? Maybe I'll stink on this one too. I hope not. But you know, how would you even know? You know what I'm saying? How would you even know? Right. Well, I, I certainly can can speak to that. I know the first half of my 26 year radio career was spent people telling me awesome things about me, and it wasn't until the second half of that career where people started telling me the truth that I actually began to grow and get, and get better and, and 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 truly improve along the way. So I certainly. I can identify with that. Um, talk about why in your book and in your work with clients, you, you don't make a distinction, you say, between presenting publicly and, and what you call private speaking. What does that mean exactly that you don't distinguish between the two? Well, I think a lot of people, first of all, to the extent that they focus on being better at communication, they'll say to you, oh, well, I took a public speaking class in college. I know how to speak. <laughs> and when I say I don't, I don't distinguish between that because, A, I don't think hardly any of us get 
any instruction at all in private speaking. What I would call what we're doing right now or what 99.9% of all of our communication is, it's private speaking. We're not spending time on the TED stage. Even if we are you know, on the TED stage, it's one time or twice in your life. Or even Tony Robbins, who makes his living public speaking, still spends I'm not on a stage. And I also think the reason I don't distinguish between it is because in order to actually ever get to the point of public speaking, you first have to become a good private speaker. You've got to win the audience of one, two, five, 10, 15, 20, to then have a chance to even win an audience of 100 or 1,000 or, or more. And I, and, I, and I think that's the foundation by which we all should be thinking about our own communication and being able to persuade an audience. Mm. What would you say, Steve, to those who argue against something that that you believe, and that is connecting and soft skills can get you further in life than substance. There are some who who argue against you on that. How do you respond to those who argue against that connecting and soft skills can get you further in life than substance? Well, I'm not going to debate anybody on this topic. (laughs) All I'll say is that no, I'm serious. I don't mean to be that, you know, not, I'm not shying away from an argument. But what I'm saying is that the data is overwhelming on the value of soft skills versus hard skills, but it's misinterpreted. So I want to clarify this. Mm. And I hope I say this correctly in the book. Your hard skills are essential. If you want to become something that requires technical skills, a doctor, lawyer, dentist, engineer, virtually anything, you have to master the technical skills required to do that job. Absolutely essential. But once you master those skills and you get a job in that field, you are competing against everybody else who also has mastered those technical skills. Mm. And then at that point, you become, I, I use this word in maybe in a way that some people don't like, but I'll say it anyway, you become somewhat commoditized Mm. in terms of your hard skill knowledge. And people aren't going to decide to use you, Dr. A versus you, Dr. B, or whatever technical service you have because of your technical skills, because A, they don't understand them. They're not the, the expert. They're hiring you because do they trust you? Do they like you? Do they connect with you? Are they persuaded to go to you versus someone else? And obviously, there are a lot of variables that go into that. But to the extent that you control the way you come across with your own private speaking, I think it's it's essential. And I, I think it's, it is more important because it's the skill and the trait that not everybody has. Mm. Everybody has the technical part of it. You're in that field when you're playing on that field, when you get there, when you get to that table. Well, Steve, this is the point where I want to ask you about uh, your framework that you lay out in the book, the all uh, framework, authority, warmth, uh, energy. Uh, share a bit about that framework to the extent uh, that you're willing. And, and maybe too, Steve, what it's not intended to be. Well, what it is intended to be is a shortcut hack to understanding soft skills. And you know, I talk about this thing in the book called the 8515 rule, that being that 15% of your success is causally related and correlated to your technical knowledge and expertise. And it comes from a study from the Carnegie Foundation from 1918, and it's been cited by many people since then. So the 85% is the non-technical stuff, what we would call the soft skills. But the awe principle, that framework is there because I don't think most people understand how they are lacking in the soft skills and what they can do about it. So awe is just, it's a concept to say to you, okay, how are you doing in the soft skills? Or or say to yourself, how am I doing? And then it boils down to these three factors. A, your authority. How competent do people think you are? How much strength do they think you have in, in your ideas? Do they believe you? And what goes into your authority, your voice, your body language, your presence, your rate of speech, et cetera, things like that. 
that we talk about in the book, the granularity of it, then do people trust me? Do they connect with me? Do they want to be in a relationship with me? Whatever that relationship might be. And that's the W, that's warmth. That's this kind of catch-all phrase for trust. Mm. And are you able to connect with someone? Because if we don't like you and connect with you, then we don't want to be with you. And that means you're not going to be on the team to design the new software project. If you're an engineer, you're not going to get that job at Google. It means you're not going to be uh, making it to partner in the law firm because the clients don't like you and they don't want to be your your client. The judge doesn't like you. The jury doesn't like you. Your colleagues don't like you. They don't trust you or, or they do, right? And then the E is the energy piece. How do you make people feel in your presence? Are you the type of person that energizes others or do you deflate them? And we don't want to be around people that deflate us. We want to be around people that energize us. And ultimately what awe is, it's just a simple way to teach people how to become magnetic, magnetic in your energy, magnetic in your trust and magnetic in your authority. That's it. Mm, you mentioned voice and presence and body language, uh, dress. Also, there's alignment and, and detachment all playing a role in mastering authority specifically. Uh, one that surprised me initially as I read the book was this idea of detachment, Steve, as it relates to authority. Describe the, the context here. You know, it's great that you mentioned that because that surprises a lot of people when they read the book. And it actually surprised me mm. because it came out of a lot of interviews that I did in, in, in talking to people from different walks of life. I Look, I'm trying to create this grand theory, right, of awe. And it's hard to say, does this apply for a shoe salesman as much as it applies for a psychotherapist, right? And in my interviews, I found that it did. Mm. And what they had in common is that if you believe so strongly in what you're saying, you may not persuade everybody, but you have to actually own that ability or that outcome that may not be to your liking. Mm. You know, awe, awe is not this trick to get everybody to go along with what you want. It's a way of being. It's a way of behaving. It's a way of living. And it's not designed to be misleading. So for example, I believe my in my heart of hearts that this is a great book that I've written, but I can't sit here and be so attached to the fact that you're going to read it and love it that I'm going to literally camp out in front of your house until you buy it. No, then the book may or may not be as good as I think it is, but I'm going to lose all my authority because I'm too attached to the outcome. Mm. So I think the most effective people that I've come across in their authority are those people who say, look, I'm not selling you anything. I have something of great value to offer you. I know what it is. And this is the price for it, whatever the price may be. And if you want it, great. It'll be great for you. And also I'll benefit as well. But if you don't, that's okay. I can live without that. I can live without this this thing happening for you or for me. And I can walk away and, and live happily ever after. And I think with that comes great power. I love that. It's like, kind of like drawing a line in the sand that you're you're daring uh, people to cross and, and, and being okay with the fact that some aren't going to cross it, but the ones that do are, are with you 100%. Yeah. And I, I, look, I, I think it applies. I know you didn't ask this question, but obviously in my main job, I've been a talent agent for the last 30 years and I've negotiated a lot of contracts. And one of the things I try to tell clients and tell myself is not every deal needs to happen. <laughs> and it doesn't make you a bad negotiator if you don't come to an agreement. It doesn't make either side a bad person. And if you really want a dollar for your product and the other guy thinks it's worth 50 cents, 
it doesn't make him a bad person for only willing to pay 50. It doesn't make you bad for wanting a dollar. And nobody's bad for not coming to a deal. And I think if you have that mindset and you really, if you value what you have and you have a certain authority around that and a detachment from the outcome, but you also have to be comfortable. Like in my case, I got to be comfortable with someone not buying this book. <laughs> and it's hard for people to do that. And I use that example because it's very, it's very real, right? Exactly. Uh, people often tell me, people that I, that I work with, that I interview, uh, students that I work with and the courses that I create and offer online will tell me, Jeff, you've, you've, got, a, you've got a great voice. And I like to think that uh, they, they hear the, the warmth that comes through uh, a certain amount of authority um, that is inviting and hopefully energy. That's probably the one I struggle with the most. Uh, but one of my favorite quotes from your book is, is your voice is your second face. So many people I talk to will say things to me like, you know, how do I get a voice like that? How do I sound like you? And obviously that's not the point. But what do you mean when you say your voice is your second face? How can a regular Joe who doesn't have, you know, the uh, James Earl Jones voice feel like they're communicating effectively with their voice? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because literally my thought bubble while you were talking before you said voice is, wow, this guy has a great voice. That was literally what I was thinking. Um, so look, we all are born with certain genetic gifts and certain weaknesses. And so if you don't have the Jeff Brown voice, just try to figure out how to have the best voice that you can have, right? Mm. That's it. I don't have as good of a voice as you do. I'll be the first to admit it. But I want to have the best voice that I can have within reason. And w w then that quote, your voice is your second face, comes from a book by Dr. Mort Cooper, which is called Change Your Voice, Change Your Life. And I recommend people to read that book too, or at least Google it and learn a few of the exercises that he talks about. I mean, one thing I've talked about recently is we're in the midst of a global pandemic still. Mm. And you think about how unbelievable it is that whatever we want to learn, we can learn for free now. Mm. Anything. You go on the internet and you can learn how to have a better voice in five seconds. So <laughs> I would say people should learn how to have a properly placed pitch if they have a bad habit of speaking too high, which a lot of people do. And this isn't just women, it's men as well. And if you breathe better and learn how to breathe properly, your voice is like an instrument. It's not like an instrument, it is an instrument and learn about it. So th this should be very easy for people to just figure this out on their own or if not, you know, read my book and it'll lead you to greater resources to do that. Well, in the good news, I'm, I'm hearing in all that is authority, warmth, energy. If these don't come naturally to you, you can learn how to get better. A thousand percent. Yes. You can improve your resonance. You can improve your pitch. You, you can learn more about how to modulate your voice by not speaking too much or not speaking in run-on sentences. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to do that. One of the things you talk about is in regard to energy is matching the energy of the room. And uh, something that reminded me of was a recent conversation with someone and, and talking with them about things like energy and warmth and authority, though I hadn't read your book yet and I wasn't necessarily using those, those terms. Uh, they shot back with, you know, I, I want to be me. And, and I feel like what you're asking me to do is, is to match the energy of the room means I got to be somebody else. But that's not necessarily true, right? It's not about being uh, somebody else. It's, it's about helping others want to be around you. And that's, 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 a, that's a way to get there, right? A thousand percent. Again, I think you're right. Look, first of all, in response to that point, I want to be me. Well, look, sorry, but 
the world isn't just about you. <laughs> you can't be you if you're, I mean, you could do whatever you want, obviously, you could ignore all this. But if you want to have an impact in this world, and you want to achieve what you want to achieve, then you got to be responsive to other people. It's not just about you. And if you are this high energy, frenetic person that's screaming like Steve Ballmer on the Microsoft stage, in that famous video, if you try doing that at your company meeting, people are going to be scared to death at you and you're not going to have any connections or any influence on anyone else. So it's just a question of understanding that every communication has nothing to do with you or it shouldn't be perceived as having anything to do with you. What you should be thinking about is how is my communication being received by the recipient? That's all that matters. And otherwise, what, what, why are you talking? Why are you communicating other than just to hear yourself? Mm. What's the point? Like, Don't you understand? The only reason you're communicating is to have somebody receive that. You, you know, I mean, I know that sounds a little bit silly, but it's true. Um, for someone who struggles, Steve, with seeing the, these things in, the, in themselves and, and, and being able to improve just by uh, maybe recording themselves or some other things that you, that you recommend, how can trying to find these traits or lack of these traits in others be, be helpful to them if they're struggling seeing it in themselves? So I, I got to give you an A plus for reading the book and taking good notes and <laughs> getting good insights. You're the first one to ask that question. Mm. I, I think it's I think it's exactly the point of this stuff is really difficult, right? And self awareness is really difficult. And yet, I wrote this book in part because I have seen over time how many people just struggle in life and not reach their potential because they had this you know really significant blind spot in in their communication skills and the impression they were making on people, and it was causing people to shun them in a way that they never really fully understood. It's just it's almost like heartbreaking to see that happen to people who really want to work, but they're just, they're so trapped by their own limitations, right? Mm. And so even if I said to you, you know, Jeff, you're right about your voice. I'm just using this hypothetically, by the way. You know, Jeff, your voice is great. You have a really resonant voice. You have a lot of authority. You do have a lot of warmth in it. But you know what? Your energy does stink. And <laughs> it's it's just, it's it's so lacking, Jeff, that had you, if you had better energy, you would be Howard Stern. And, you know, I'm just, again, just using this hypothetically. But even if I told you that, and even if it was true, which it's not, but even if it was, you probably wouldn't be able to do much with that. <laughs> right. Because in the moment, you're like, well, what does that mean, my energy? Give me some specifics. What can I do about it? So what I try to do in the book is I try to create this another hack, which I call hyper external awareness. And other people have used this in different contexts, but I think it's important to use this in communication, which is to say that figure out what it is that you have in terms of your weakness. So in my case, I had this bad habit of folding my arms all the time when I would talk to people. And my wife pointed it out to me. And yet it didn't really help. I mean, just knowing that wasn't really that helpful. <laughs> I would continue to go to cocktail parties and events and meetings with people. And she would say, you know, I don't know if you know, but your arms are still folded the whole time. Just really, that's not the kind of impression you want to make. So what I ended up doing is I took this hyper external awareness technique and I applied it to myself. And every time I would go out to a cocktail party or any kind of an event where there were people, the first thing I did was I would scan the room and I would notice whose arms were folded. Mm. And it became like a giant flashing red light. <laughs> and now every time I'm in a conversation with someone else, I notice when their arms are folded. And because of seeing those arms folded and knowing it's a turnoff to me now to do it myself, I, I can't do it anymore because mm. when I see it, 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 it's kind of a turnoff to me. And then I stopped doing it. I, I really haven't folded my arms in front of a person in years now because of that. 
And it's so much so that sometimes when I'm around other people, I'll recount that story. And if they have their arms folded, <laughs> I'll just kind of karate chop them in the arms and I'll, I'll unfold their arms for them. And look, folding your arms once in a while is fine, obviously, if it's part of your body language. But you don't want to stand there talking to someone for 15 minutes and that be your your de facto kind of default mm. norm. Well, that's that's fascinating. It broke you of that habit in one fell swoop. I love it. Well, I've got a couple of questions for you, Steve, not directly related to the book, but before I get to those, anything else from the book you want to make sure that we walk away with? Well, I, I think that one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is that probably the best book I ever read, you know, up until when I was 30 or maybe still ever was this book. I'm sure you've read it, How to Win Friends and Influence People mm. by Dale Carnegie. And if you can boil that that book down to one sentence, it's you know, see things from the other guy's perspective. Right. And if you can always see things from that person's perspective, you're going to have a much more successful life. And you're basically kind of going around thinking about how am I going to solve someone else's problem? And therefore, everything will come good for me in this world. And I thought that for my book, I'm hoping, and obviously it's a giant hope, that my book kind of can fill a big void like his did in terms of creating a new mindset for people. And the mindset that I'm hoping to achieve is work hard, do all the things you want to do in your life in terms of you know study, go to the right school, try to get into the field of your choice, show up on time, have good ideas. But don't forget, there's this giant tool in the toolbox that you might be forgetting about that could be really tremendously holding you back. And that's your awe, your authority, your warmth, and your energy. Mm. And I know so many people that you or I might consider very successful, but even they haven't come close to achieving their level of potential because they might have just an awful, really grating speaking voice or their energy might just be horribly low. And I just think for people to hopefully implement this in their daily regimen of thinking about resources they're dedicating to improving themselves and the time and effort they put into you know achieving in life, make this a part of it. That, that's the goal. Mm. It's funny you mentioned the Dale Carnegie book. I just ordered a copy of that book. I've had it on Kindle for years and I just ordered a hardcover that arrived in the mail uh, this week. So I'm looking forward to diving uh, back into it. But besides how to win friends and influence people, uh, what's a book or two that's had a huge impact on your career over the last uh, 20, 25 years? Two of my favorite books I've ever read, both in sports, but I thought they had tremendous life lessons. Mm. One is called When Pride Still Mattered uh, by Vince Lombardi. I mean, not by Vince Lombardi, by David Marinus about Vince Lombardi. And I, I just really thought it was a tremendous book about a man's faith and, and his commitment to his family and his wife and just the level of integrity and the level of detail he put into being a football coach. And what people don't realize about Vince Lombardi is that before he was a successful football coach, he was actually a high school basketball coach and very successful at that too uh, in New Jersey. So you see what, what the lesson was from that is just if you do things the right way, if you connect with people and if you can figure out the right way to do things, it's transferable. Mm. And, and that was a great lesson. And then I love the book Biscuit. Because first of all, it's it's in my view, it's one of the most well-written books ever mm. written, Laura Hillenbrandt. And what I took away from that is that the, the genius of, of, of the, the trainer, Tom Smith, was that he understood how to treat each horse differently. Mm. That sometimes you had to whip the horse down the back stretch and kick it, you know, and I, I'm saying not kick it for real, but really metaphorically kick it, really push it and 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 just berate the poor thing and, and push it to the limit to get the most out of it. And then there were other horses that the minute you even touched it, you couldn't get anything out of that horse. It just wouldn't respond to the whip. They wouldn't respond to anything. And I think a great leader understands that everybody's different. 
And you can't treat people the same way. And if you try to push somebody by yelling at them and they don't respond to that, then you're a lousy leader if you don't understand what it takes to get the most out of people. And even though the book is about horses, Seabiscuit, it's really about people. And, and I, I think it, th- that lesson really stuck with me. And the other part about horse racing I've always liked is this idea of you know, some horses can run as fast as possible and be great champions. And other horses just they're too distracted all the time and they're looking around and they put these blinkers on them around around their eyes. And I think some of us need blinkers for our own life. You know, we can tend to be looking around. Well, what's this guy doing? Oh, Jeff Brown has this podcast. I want to have this podcast. So this one's doing that. And they stop and think about what their own race is, whatever that is. And I'm not saying life should be a race. You should you know, live life on your own terms, but don't live life on terms of the guy next to you, on mm. the right of you or the left of you. And those are some of the, to me, some of the best books I've written. Mm. I've not written, I've read. Well, uh, beyond the uh, the podcast tour for the book, uh, Steve, once that's behind you, what's ahead for you and your team uh, this year in 2020 that you're excited about? I, I have a really great business representing broadcast media talent. And this kind of came as an offshoot of that. Mm. And some of the same things that I've done for broadcasters now doing for individuals. So I'm doing some coaching. I actually got a call this morning about coaching a CEO who read a column that I wrote in in Business Insider. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that and integrating, honestly, both sides of these these businesses, just this individual coaching of, of um, you know executives and companies and consulting with companies and also doing more teaching. Now, with, with the whole pandemic, I've done a, a lot of teaching. I've taught a bunch of law school classes mm. on uh, mediation, arbitration, negotiation. I'm leading a CLE class next week that's continuing legal education for a major law firm. And th- that's just what excites me is to take these principles from the book and not necessarily just be about the book, but the concepts and try to teach them in different areas of the world. Like I said, whether it be undergraduates, like I did one at Emerson College, I I spoke at the University of Michigan, or law schools or businesses. That's what I want to do in addition to running my own business, you know, just continue to do that as well. Well, uh, the book again is called Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. And his name is Steve Hers. Steve, thank you again so much for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Appreciate it. And again, loving the book. And it's one that I think I can honestly say is, is a book that everybody is poised to be helped by so long as they will just take the time to, to read it. Steve, thank you again so much. And thank you for having me. It's been great and really appreciate your questions and your interest. I've created a page on my website where you can dive into more of my conversation with Steve, learn more about his work and research, and more easily find those books and other resources he referenced. All of that is at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 323 for episode 323. While you're there, be sure to enter your name and email address in the form at the upper right so I can send you my free top 12 all-time list of the best business and personal growth books. These are the books getting the most recommendations by guests here on the podcast. I share with you what I got out of these books as well as what guests who recommended them had to say about them. Again, you can get that at my website for free, readtoleadpodcast.com. If you have questions, comments, suggestions or feedback for me and the show write me directly if you don't mind jeff at read to lead podcast.com i respond to most emails within a couple of days and i look forward to hearing from you next time on the show we'll be welcoming stanford university professor and author dr bj fogg as we discuss his book tiny habits the small changes that change everything 
Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode with BJ Fogg. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh